0: You're listening to Salmon Farming Inside and Out, a podcast series brought to you by Aquaculture in North America. This podcast is sponsored by Merck Animal Health. Together, we can ensure welfare and sustainability for aquatic species. Hello and welcome to another episode of Salmon Farming Inside and Out. I'm Marilyn DeGuzman.
1: And I'm Ian Roberts.
0: So hi Ian, this is our second episode, so exciting.
1: Very exciting, yeah, nice to be back and with a guest this time
0: before we start, I see you've been doing some uh, researching about salmon in preparation for this episode. Um, that's what we're wanna, we, we're gonna be doing now is providing some you know interesting facts about salmon as part of this show.
1: Yeah, well, I'm sure our, our guests will be um, giving us lots of key facts as well, but we just, uh, for some fun, we'll have a question and we'll answer it at the end of our, our interviews, and, and this one's an easy one. I Well, it's easy for people to know salmon, so it is how many species of salmon live in Canada? Uh, Mm I think about all three coasts and and, uh, we'll we'll talk about that uh, and there may be some debate around that as well as there always seems to be around the file about uh, what exactly is a salmon. How many species of salmon live in Canada? We'll talk about it at the end. So we're going to welcome our guest. And today we're uh, very happy to have uh, Tim Kennedy, who is the president of the Canadian Aquaculture Industry Alliance. I know Tim very well, but uh, Tim, welcome to the show. And please tell the uh, listener, uh, very briefly, of course, who you are.
2: Thanks, Ian. And hi, Mary Lynn. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast. Um, So, yeah, Tim Kennedy with uh, the Canadian Aquaculture Industry Alliance. And I have been with the organization about six years. Before that, I actually came from more of the environment, energy, uh, policy area. So I worked with an energy company and I was an advisor. In Ottawa uh, for many years, but it's been uh, it's been both uh, a great pleasure and at times a, a great challenge to be uh, to be the president at Kaya during the last six years. And I know we'll talk more about why.
1: Yeah, and, and you are based in Ottawa, of course, and close. For those that don't know Canada, that may be listening outside, that is where our Parliament uh, is, and and uh, many of our government officials. Um, and we're going to be talking a bit about politics in this session, of course, because this is Canada and politics and salmon. Uh, uh, Marilyn, <laughs> I should probably ask you, what is the etiquette here for sweary words? Because we are talking about politics. Um, we're going to keep it clean,
0: are we? I think we want to keep it clean.
2: All we right, can, we'll, we'll, we do, a, we'll express, do our best.
0: We can express ourselves with words that are, you know, clean words.
1: <laughs> okay, Excellent. we'll do so, so, uh, Tim, you know, this is the salmon podcast inside and out, and, uh, we, we'd like to first just talk about Kaya generally, I guess, you know, what does Kaya bring to the table for aquaculture, um, in Canada and, uh, and then let's dive a little deeper into the salmon file, but what's going on uh, overall with kind of seafood consumption and, and seafood, um, exports, imports, all of that.
2: OK, well, the Canadian Aquaculture Industry Alliance, we uh, we're an organization that was founded uh, at the very beginning, about 30 years ago. And uh, and, and right now we represent all uh, species of aquaculture in Canada. Um, and we have uh, we have about 65 members and we span both producers, suppliers and academic organizations as well. So it's it's a it's a very rich membership in terms of production uh, in Canada. I think the reality is that we increased quite quickly in the uh, 90s up until early 2000s. And then we've largely flatlined in production in Canada, despite our just incredible biophysical capacity and potential in in this country. We are really using a very, very small amount. So about 1% uh, is, is our organization's estimate of the actual potential that we we have, have in the country, just in terms of, again, that, that sort of bio, biophysical footprint. So we're using very little. When you look at our uh, capacity and our production compared to other major competitors, Norway, the UK, the USA, again, our footprint is, is extremely small um, compared to them. In terms of what we see in the marketplace, and I think this will be familiar to many listeners, we know that salmon is both in Canada and the U.S., um, you know, the king of the seafood market by, by a pretty significant margin in Canada. Shrimp is, uh, is obviously very dominant as well, but in Canada, shrimp comes in second after, after salmon. Um, that demand is increasing. The consumption is, is generally increasing as well. And, and so, of course, that's, that's amazing for Canada to be looking at producing more salmon in particular, um, and of course, right now uh, in Canada, we're in a bit of a challenging moment—a very challenging moment because um, we have a, a federal government who's not so friendly to uh, increasing production all across the country. So, um, so that is that's a big challenge for us. Uh, although the opportunity again is is really unparalleled in in the world.
0: How much of the highest work is on salmon? Because obviously, you know, we 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 do uh, hear more about salmon farming, you know, when we're talking mm-hmm. about BC and the East Coast, like how much of that is really, you know, taking the bulk of, uh, of your time?
2: Well, one of the groups that, that I didn't mention in our membership, which is a really important um, uh, group, is, is associations. So we have a number of associations across Canada that are, are provincially or regionally focused. Um, on the East Coast, there are three or four organizations in BC. There are two for different species, salmon and shellfish. Um, So those organizations are very focused on engaging um, more local community issues and and Canadian Aquaculture Industry Alliance's responsibility is really focused more on the federal government, that national discussion. I would say our our attention to the issues and to the different sectors does mirror to a certain extent uh, the the value to the aquaculture sector of the the different subsectors. So I'll give you an example. Salmon is worth Uh, Atlantic salmon farming is worth about 85% of the entire value of the aquaculture sector in Canada. So I would say a a very good, I'd probably say 60 to 80% of our time is spent um, on salmon issues. Uh, And then we have, you know, very specific issues around shellfish that we've been lobbying for, that we've been advocating for, um, you know, access to um, different products that can benefit the entire sector. Innovation, which sort of crosses all boundaries. And the other thing that is really important to us, and and we're spending a lot of time on, which benefits the entire sector, is that we don't have a champion department at the federal level. So the Department of Fisheries and Oceans, who is our regulator, has at times, uh, throughout its history with, with aquaculture, looked at trying to support its development, but it's done a very, very poor job. And so unlike the farming sector that has uh, access to all sorts of support programs through Agriculture Canada, we don't have access to those programs. And so we are spending a lot of time making the case that it is now time to move any development activities uh, at the federal level from, the, from a departmental level to Agriculture Canada and away from the Department of, of Fisheries and Oceans. It, it's just uh, it's not working. Uh, the current structure just does not support the the healthy and proper development of, of our sector.
0: Right. And Ian, I think disclaimer, right, that like you you are uh, involved with Kaya.
1: Yeah,
2: I'm uh, I'm happy
1: to work alongside Tim. I'm chair of the board. Um, and of course, I work with a salmon producer. Um, and, you know, that's probably a good segue into working with other salmon producers across the across the country, Tim, because, I mean, you mentioned Salmon is the the number one choice of consumers in the country, and uh, salmon is about eighty five percent of the production through the Kaya membership of aquaculture. But we're not quite feeling the love for the salmon file maybe across the country, and that's my cheesy segue into the Love Salmon campaign for you to uh, speak about, Tim, and the latest commitments.
2: Yeah, thanks, Ian. So uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, the the producers across Canada did decide that it was time to do to undertake more of a national communications campaign and and, uh, initiative campaign, to reach out to Canadians, to reach out to um, federal decision makers, uh, to talk more about about salmon and its importance in Canada. And so uh, we launched the Love Salmon campaign and we have a website, Uh, people can go and visit lovesalmon.ca. One of the early initiatives that we took on was to develop with all of the Canadian producers, major producers, Uh, a set of national performance commitments uh, that are focused around sustainability issues that are of concern that we hear concerns about. Uh, But really it was an opportunity to, to bring together all the good work that's being done across the country uh, to tell the story to Canadians that, that so much is being done in this sector to constantly improve performance, um, you know, to listen to uh, you know, to show Canadians that, that, We are a critical uh, sector for the future, and for the future production of very healthy food in Canada. So that was launched. That set of commitments uh, was launched in uh, in in late 2022, and uh, and then we had uh, we've had a a, you know a a sort of communications uh, set of initiatives around that. So that that's been that's been very I think useful, helpful uh, to kind of tell our story a, a little bit more actively. And then we've also had, uh, had engagement across the country um, with Love Salmon, uh, again, just in terms of general education uh, about, about the sector.
1: And how has that, because uh, that, that's a first, uh, you know, across yeah. the country to have all producers sign up to these national commitments. How has that been received by Ottawa and, uh, you know, the, uh, the politicians and, and everybody else?
2: Yeah, I think, I think very well. One of the things that we do with Kai is we is we have a lot of uh, partnerships with other food groups. So for instance, we're members of the Canadian Federation of Agriculture. Uh, we're members of the Canadian um, Center for Food Integrity. For instance, I'm on the board of the of the Canadian Center for Food Integrity. There's a lot of work that's been happening in the food sector over the last ten to fifteen years around sustainability. So the salmon sector at this point in time is joining a number of other organizations like the beef sector, for instance that have been uh, doing some work in sustainability for a number of years. So it's certainly noticed, but I think that the politics in the country that we're dealing with right now in British Columbia um, are, are very dominating. And, um, and this, this has, I think this has been helpful to contribute to the dialogue about what we can do and where we're going as a sector. But oftentimes, um, you know, some of the some of the headwinds just from uh, from the situation in British Columbia have been have been challenging, and and sometimes that dominates, uh, you know, some of the experiences and, and uh, communications that we're having in in Ottawa.
1: Before we get to uh, BC specifically, just yeah, on the on the Canadian politics and national politics, and you allude to some you know concerning feelings lately. But I just want to read two uh, two comments from the Liberal Party and our fisheries minister. And this was made back in 2016, 2017. And and then I want to get your thoughts of how things have changed and why things have changed. So this is 2016, the Liberal Party responding to concerns, uh, you know, from some critics about salmon farming. Uh, And I quote, legislating the removal of salmon aquaculture from Canada's oceans represents an excessive approach to resolving environmental issues that are already being managed through robust science-based federal and provincial regulations. That was 2016 and then the next year uh, the fisheries minister at the time Dominic LeBlanc commenting uh, much to the same uh, and I quote we're confident that what's there now is done safely. We have a robust and coherent regulatory regime but we understand that public confidence is important and that last sentence is you know, flagging kind of what has happened since I think, again, that was 2017. So I would imagine that an election was shortly after and, and the the winds had changed. So Tim, do you want to speak to that?
2: Yeah, there's there's a lot there, Ian, thanks for raising those quotes. So in 2019, there was a federal election and the and the Liberal Party at the time that became the government that, that uh, became the government again, uh, won its second mandate, it had a commitment, uh, a platform commitment that was to transition BC salmon farms uh, to land. So there was language used that, uh, that was basically proposing to move an 85,000 ton uh, industry from the water onto land, right? Uh, this, was, uh, this was shocking for the industry especially after the quotes uh, and and the work with the government that had happened in, uh, you know, before 2019 and 2015, 2016, 2017. So the the, the industry in British Columbia was really shocked by this. It was unexpected. And I think it came after a time when the Liberals had to make as government a very difficult decision in British Columbia that was related to the oil and gas sector. So they they actually took a decision to, in fact, buy a pipeline, an oil pipeline uh, that <clears throat> was heading to the West Coast that was very, very controversial. And they knew that this would really uh, challenge, I think, their environmental bona fides. And that was one of the groups that was really supportive of the Liberals. So heading into 2019, we understand that some sort of deal was made where Uh, You know, the Liberals would, uh, you know, would get the support of a large number of the environmental community if they, in fact, were much, much harder on a smaller sector like ours that had been somewhat controversial for many years. And let me also say that we have lots of data behind this that we know that from about 2003 to 2015, over $30 million flowed from U.S. foundations. Uh, to environmental groups in British Columbia to undermine and criticize and uh, and really, um, really I think uh, attack the salmon sector in British Columbia. So what we're seeing at at this moment in the last few years is really the sort of the what I would say very bad fruits of that kind of dynamic where you have a lot of money, a lot of activism, undermining for close to twenty years uh, a sector. Uh, and then you have the political fruits, you have sort of a dynamic where the government at the time needed to make a decision or they felt like they had to make a decision to get the support of a specific group in British Columbia for their political survival. So um, bad politics, um, uh, but that's that's sort of the history and certainly the read and, and what we understand uh, happened in, in 2019.
0: Do you see this um, blowing over to the East Coast, uh, Tim, in terms of the political uh, aspect of it, 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 from the environmental, because it seems like you know they have <laughs> a lot of um, clout in BC. From what you're saying, that's so interesting. Like, is that something you're seeing in, in in the East Coast as well?
2: Yeah, good question. I let me just say that I would say that the cultures are very different on the East and West Coasts, right? So you have a you have a real sort of Um, seafood culture on the east coast you have uh communities that are uh really hurting i think from uh from a jobs perspective after after the demise of traditional fisheries um in for instance in newfoundland in um you know in new brunswick for instance so you have a much much stronger support in those in those provinces than you do in british columbia And, and again in bc maryland you're there you know just how polarized it is right in British Columbia, probably like nowhere else in the country where you have such swings in governments, you have very, very strong activist base. Um, So I just wanted to say, so it's, it's very different on the East coast. You have a lot, a lot stronger support, generally speaking for aquaculture for salmon farming I know that our colleagues in, in Atlantic Canada, when they do public polling, they're looking at close to 80% in most provinces that support salmon aquaculture. So again, the, that, that's, it's a very different situation. However, I will say that, of course, the, the federal government is trying to have it both ways. So they're trying to say that everything that they do on the West Coast to close down salmon farms will not impact the East Coast it's just a BC issue now from a regulatory perspective there's some truth to that because the Department of Fisheries and Oceans the Federal Department actually has regulatory oversight on the west Coast where it does not on the East Coast so the provinces are principal regulators on the East Coast but there are certain triggers and we also know that uh, if you know if things keep, uh, keep going in a sense backwards with the salmon sector in British Columbia, there's no question that it, it will, uh, it, it could have negative impacts on the East Coast. Two of the three major producers, um, Ian is at one of those companies, uh, you know, they, they operate on both coasts. And international investors do not see uh, East and West Coast. They see Canada investment. And so if they're getting hit really badly by the federal government on the West Coast, uh, they really have to question whether they can invest in in Canada in general. So that's I think that's the risk. that's the situation that we're looking at. Um, I know that, again, the producers on the east coast are are working extremely hard. Uh, you know, new new investments both from moe cook and and Greek seafood in Newfoundland. Really exciting some of the opportunities and changes that are happening on the East Coast. But again, it's a bad, it's just a bad situation right now in Canada. And, and, uh, and again, the bad fruits of 20 years of, of a uh, very, very negative activist pressure.
0: Uh, going back to that Love Salmon campaign, I, I really find it really interesting. What's the most important message that will make some meaningful difference in your view?
2: Good, good question. I, I would just say, I mean, it's, it has to be a very simple message. And the simple message is people love salmon. Salmon is an amazing product canada has huge opportunity right so it's it's a it's a bit of a threefold but it's it's all packed together people love salmon eating atlantic salmon because uh they love it it tastes amazing it's incredibly healthy for you right at a time when we're trying to uh you know have greater access to um high-grade proteins and domestic proteins right things that are produced in canada and we can access it here, and it's, it's relatively affordable, right? It's, it's part of that protein mix that's uh, that more and more Canadians are looking at. We need to produce that here in Canada, and we can do it the best in the world. Why can't we do this the best in the world? And I think that that's a question that we constantly ask government. Why, why do you consider shutting, shutting industry down when really we could be investing and we could be changing and we could be, uh, you know, growing constantly to be the best producers of salmon in the world. And unfortunately, the, the voices of kind of negativity and, you know, you can't do this have been winning. And I think that that's just a huge, huge mistake. I think it's, I think it's uh, a huge mistake, not just for the salmon sector, not just for food production in Canada. I think it's a huge mistake for Canada. And it's extremely disappointing that our government has been supporting this direction.
0: I wonder, and Ian, I think you can chime in as a you know communications professional, mm-hmm. um, if this sort of messaging is sort of um, communicating to the broader pub- public with no vested interest and if that will make a difference in um, if the hope is to make a difference in sort of where this industry is going and where you know in terms of government policies and you know, and such.
2: Obviously, in, in any communications initiative, there's there's uh, different audiences that you're speaking to, and it's really important to be focused on those. So we at Kaya, this Love Salmon campaign has been very has been focused on on the federal government, which is which is, again, our, our responsibility. That doesn't preclude the need for, uh, you know, active and creative communications in different regions as well. and And of course, Uh, There is that happening all over Atlantic Canada. There has that has happened in British Columbia um, and it needs to continue. So um, so I I would just say our our main focus has been just allowing or uh, enabling federal uh, federal government officials to understand more about the sector. And, and so I know we've, we've had some very, you know, positive, positive impacts, even if we've had a very bad decision in the last, you know, about a month ago. Um, there's a lot more to do. You know, we're talking about, uh, you know, 350, 338 members of parliament uh, who are from all different regions who have probably 300 uh, issues that they're working on all the time. And we're just, we're just one of those issues. And, uh, it's a, some, and, and, and again, because, because the BC salmon farming issue has been around for a little while and there's a lot of passions around it, I think a lot of members of Parliament sometimes don't really want to touch it. So it's something that, that it's, it's, it's sometimes challenging to get, uh, positive attention on it. Uh, but that's our challenge.
1: So Tim, I'm determined by the end of this podcast, which is coming soon to uh, leave on a high note. So yes, Absolutely. You know, we- We've talked about the challenges, um, uh, you know, but we've also talked about the opportunities, which is food production, food security, satisfying this global and, and strong domestic demand for a fantastic product, which is salmon and the jobs and the First Nation communities that are involved with it as well. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just, it, it's disappointing that some political decisions have, have taken place and we have been severely impacted, salmon farmers uh, really across the country, but in your, uh, you know, in your role in Kaya, both east and west, and everything in between uh, in Canada, what do we see uh, as the opportunity for the future? Where do you think this is going to go? Where do you hope it's going to go um, uh, for our our production of not just salmon but but seafood in Canada? Where, where do we want to be? Where can we be?
2: Yeah, so let's thanks Ian. Let's talk about the the really bright spot. So I would say um, the, the the provinces of Atlantic Canada, so Newfoundland, PEI, um, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, and also actually Quebec. Uh, they have all signed letter a letter about six months ago, just saying that they strongly support aquaculture development in their provinces. So this is really this is a really positive thing, um, and we're seeing commitments to growth and growth targets uh, on the East coast. So those are the sorts of things that we need to see all across Canada. We know that there are, we have global competitors, um, just as an example, Norway, New Zealand, for instance, with their sectors, where they have made very confident, aggressive, um, uh, um, commitments to targets for growth which we haven't done in Canada. So on the east coast to see provinces making those sorts of commitments is, is really heartening. Um, another light a really I think a really bright light is the shellfish sector. We've seen some really strong um, we've seen some strong uh, bounce back after after the COVID period. They were hit really hard from COVID because a lot of their product is sold in restaurants, and and of course restaurants were not operating really during the COVID period. So they've seen some really strong um, uh, you know bounce back, and and that's that's really exciting as well. And and one of the things that we've been advocating for in Ottawa is is the expansion of capacity in the federal government, in the federal system uh, to grow and and identify more shellfish areas. So that's that's positive. Another bright area is, um, is Ontario. And we often think about aquaculture just on the, on the east and west coast, but we have Ontario rainbow trout production. So we know that there's huge demand for rainbow trout in both the Canadian and U.S. markets. It tends to be less expensive than, uh, than salmon, but the product is excellent. Um, And so they're looking at expansions uh, in in uh, the Great Lakes area, especially in in Lake Superior. They've got an experimental site in Lake Superior that's done in in collaboration with the First Nations uh, uh, in in the Lake Superior area. So really, really um, great opportunity in Ontario on the West Coast in B.C., looking at the silver lining of where we are now the sector is engaged in a, in a process led by the Department of Fisheries and Oceans to develop what they're saying, what they're calling a transition plan for BC salmon farming. No longer are people talking about land-based as the only opportunity, but they are continuing to look at, uh, at, at marine-based closed or semi-closed containment as sort of a future opportunity. If that plan, which they, they have called and again, they, they moderated in their platform. So again, it's not, it's not on to land, it's, it's the transition of, uh, of uh, open, what they say, open net pens from British Columbia. So transition to what is the big question. And if through this period, we can actually develop a plan that is indeed reasonable, that may push for changes uh, or acceleration of changes, uh, in the sector, but is reasonable and can be profitable for the industry. This actually could be a really positive thing. So we could see longer term commitments, longer term investment into technology. That's the hope of where we are, even though there has been a lot of shutdowns in the sector. So at this point in British Columbia, um, about 40% of the sector has actually been shut down, but again, and I'll end end this this comment on a a positive note. What we're seeing through this period is renewed and strong partnerships with First Nations. So there are much stronger voices of, uh, supportive voices of First Nations who want salmon farming in their their areas. And we're also seeing more and more interest in kind of innovation and, and technology pathways. So if we can get through this period, which, uh, you know, we're expecting June, July, August, that that time frame to actually develop this this transition plan uh, and we can get through this period again in a reasonable way, look at a reasonable pathway, um, we, we could see, in a sense, a restart of the sector and long term investment, um, you know, going forward. So that's the hopeful picture. We've got a lot of, uh, you know, kind of bumps in the road ahead, I think, to to get to that point. But um, I think I think that there's uh, there's there's a responsible pathway, as the government has is calling for uh, that, that we will we will continue to work towards.
1: Much appreciated, Tim. Thanks for. Yeah, just going right across the country and telling us what the, uh, what the potential is and, and, you know, where we can be in the future. This is uh, lots of opportunity for Canada. So hopefully our politicians realize that we are a part of many different uh, benefits for Canada, not just food production. So appreciate your time. Now, before you go, we, we are going to answer uh, our question, which was a simple one to start. Let's yeah. just see if you have a number. How many species of salmon live in Canada? Any idea?
2: Is it six? And I know Steelhead, is it five or six? Exactly.
1: Well done.
2: Okay. Okay, Thank you
1: it's seven if you include steelheads so you've got the steelhead salmon which is the ocean going rainbow trout then you've got the atlantic chinook chum coho pink and sockeye
0: now the bonus
1: question would have been there is another salmon that's floating around out there but it doesn't touch uh, canada that is the cherry salmon that's uh west in, in asia so you've got an eighth which is the cherry salmon so hey we learned a lot
2: from you, but maybe we all learned about the cherry salmon as I, well. I learned about the cherry salmon. Now, is anyone farming cherry salmon? That's what I want to know. I
0: would I would be interested in what it would taste like, cherry salmon. That's two, two favorite things in one. It does
2: sound
1: delicious, <laughs> doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Okay, well, thank you, Tim. Again, as Ian has said, uh, very informative indeed. Um, and we'd love to have you again in another episode you know see how everything unfolds and uh, get your comments on that
2: great love to i've enjoyed it thanks very much for the opportunity
0: you've been listening to salmon farming inside and out brought to you by aquaculture north america if you have a comment on today's episode or would like to suggest a topic for a future episode connect with aquaculture north america on twitter or through our linkedin and facebook pages this podcast is sponsored by Merck animal health together we can ensure welfare and sustainability for aquatic species.